know what that makes me think about? Did you listen to the Black and Appalachia about swimming? I did not. And they were talking about how, like, there's a huge stereotype of, like, black people don't swim. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, they were talking about how, like, African people probably invented, like, swimming. Yeah. Doing the crawl. Oh, my gosh. Like, what's freestyle now. Anyways, that was a very good episode. Well, and that's my roommate in grad school. A team was from Nigeria, and I was telling her, we talked about that, about how I can't swim and stuff. <laughs> but, and she was like, in, in Nigeria, they just throw you in the river, and you, you just, yeah. you know, they'll meet you down at the river, and you better yeah. swim, you know. She's like, oh, you would have learned in Nigeria, because <laughs> they just would have thrown you wow. in the river. Yeah. This episode includes discussion around topics such as sexual assault, domestic violence, and physical violence. We acknowledge that this content may be difficult. If this material is not for you, you may want to skip this one, or we encourage you to care for your safety and well-being while listening. Thank you. This is CTM the Podcast, or Conversations That Matter, which is an online program from the McKinney Center, which is a community arts center that operates under the town of Jonesboro in Jonesboro, Tennessee. We are partially sponsored by the Hope and Action Grant from the East Tennessee Foundation. The McKinney Center is located in the Booker T. Washington School, which was the black grade school from 1940 until integration. We record in the Gillespie Building in Jonesboro, Tennessee, which is named for Elmer Gillespie, Gillespie, an alumnus of the Booker T. Washington School, and the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. This program is to help us learn about people in our community and hopefully humanize one another. I'm Skye McFarlane. And I'm Michelle Treese. And I'm Brittany Butler. Today we're looking back at a podcast uh, from Conversations That Matters in April of this year, 2022, and it features Ruth Taylor Reed and Tina Johnson, and we talked about Sexual Assault Awareness Month um, because April is that. And so here are the bios of Ruth and Tina. Ruth Taylor Reed holds a Bachelor of Arts in Women's Studies and a Master's in Human Services from ETSU. She has just completed her Master's of Divinity from Bethel Seminary while working on her doctorate of ministry with a focus on family and congregational care. She has experience in social services, nonprofit leadership, program design, and grassroots activism. She has been a dedicated community volunteer, serving as a member of the Johnson City Sexual Assault Task Force and a board member for Frontier Health Safe Houses in Johnson City and Kingsport. She is the co-founder of the former and former chair of Women Matter Northeast Tennessee, a 501c4 organization that focuses on issues that affect the daily lives of women in East Tennessee. Ruth coordinated Escape from Rape, a cultural change conference at ETSU, and she currently co-chairs the annual Help Sarah Conference with the ETSU College of Nursing, a conference that provides an educational opportunity and forensic response to sexual assault victims and survivors. She is the mother of two daughters and the grandmother of the world's most amazing granddaughters. (laughs) Tina Johnson holds a Bachelor of Science degree in education from Milligan University. 
She has been working in the field of victim services for 24 years. She began working at Kingsport Safe House Domestic Violence Shelter in 1998 as a children's advocate and became the director in 2006. She is currently the director of victim services for Frontier Health, which includes supervision of two domestic violence shelters, Johnson City and Kingsport, two outreach offices at the Branch House Family Justice Center and the Washington County Family Justice Center and a sexual assault program serving victims of sexual violence 24-7 at area emergency departments for forensic exams. She serves in the Help Sarah Advisory Board. She serves on the Sexual Assault Response Team and the Coordinated Community Response Team in both Washington and Sullivan Counties. She is a survivor of domestic violence and is passionate in her work with victims and serving underserved populations. She is the proud mother of two sons and enjoys hiking and spending time with her dogs. What did what did y'all think about this one going back? And I know it wasn't that long ago, but it also feels like forever ago at the same time. <laughs> this one, we, I hardly feel like I asked any questions because I was so engrossed in everything they were saying. They, they covered so many good topics, important topics. Really makes you think. Yeah. And it's... Um, that's an area that I, I really didn't know a lot about. I knew that it was there, <clears throat> but to the degree of uh, lack of response from you know local mm-hmm. resources and making these great strides that they've made since uh, they got, I think, involved in it here. And, and like we've said, there's tons more work to do. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, it was mm-hmm. April, and now when we're recording this, it's October, and I would love to go back and ask some questions, but... Um, Tina said they had just started adding pediatric responses Mm -hmm. to sexual assault for um, like when you go to the hospital immediately after something like that happens. And it's like, oh, my gosh, how many kids are not getting this? Mm -hmm. That is crazy. And And that's not to belittle the work they're doing because they're doing so much. But it's like also a little overwhelming and scary how many people are not getting that care. And I just got on a board with a group in town that it's first district. So there's several counties and they uh, have an incredible lack and need for staff Mm. to do the investigative work and to, to do the examinations. I mean, for something that is so incredibly important and, and it's urgent it, to me, it's pretty amazing the lack of, uh, mm-hmm. of resources and the lack of, of personnel to, yeah. to take care of those things. It, it's it's crazy. Well, and hopefully, you know, that's why that month is called awareness. Mm-hmm. And hopefully us spreading the word a couple different times is a little bit helpful because I learned a lot right. that I did not know about. And we were just talking about this before we officially started recording, but... Um, like what a sane nurse is, mm-hmm. which maybe Michelle, maybe you can explain that better. I don't know. Well, I mean, I had no clue of that mm-hmm. until uh, I talked to, to Ruth about it. And it stands for Sexual Assault Nurse Examiner. And so uh, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, if someone has been sexual assaulted, you have to have a special nurse who has been trained in a certain area to come in and do that, that uh, examination. Mm-hmm. And um, some of us, even I think she said in the beginning that, you know, the first call, whoever you call when this has happened to you, they did not have access to a sane nurse. Like there was just mm-hmm. no one there to do that. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's, there's, we, we have to do better. We have to do better. Oh my goodness. It's also, they provide these services to my understanding that it's not just somebody who shows up. They have advocates that will mm-hmm. like sit with you. Mm-hmm. Like, and mm-hmm. Tina said, they'll just sit there and they don't even have to have a conversation with you. It's what like, you just need another person or they'll walk you through all of it and like tell you what's happening. Well, and that led to the need for so many areas to be trauma informed, Mm -hmm. right. And how they struggled getting people of the religious community to be trauma informed because of course that is an area that people might turn to if they need help or if they need assistance. And so there's a lot of work to be done on changing the culture, um, mentioning, you know, law enforcement, how not blaming the victim um, and all of these other issues with being a credible witness. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot packed into this one. Well, and then there's a lot of um, people who decide not to go through you know, charges and Mm -hmm. investigations Mm -hmm. because it's so like traumatizing to relive through those moments. And then what are the numbers? You know, you're talking about how there's not a lot of people out there to actually um, respond to these things, but then it's like what they say, one in four women, one in in six six men. men, and then pediatric Sexual assault is 30% more than adults. Right. And now, and I can see that too, where she said the focus is misplaced, right? Everyone is so concerned about human trafficking, but that's not the issue that we have here in Northeast Tennessee. It's the cyclical family abuse Mm. and how that's where people need to be focused if they really want to make a difference locally. We should probably put a trigger warning on this podcast. I was thinking about that. Seriously, I mean, yeah, because it it has clearly affected so many people. Mm -hmm. And I like how Tina said when she was talking about her situation Mm -hmm. and being in a church that she thought was going to be open-minded and everything, but how she had to get up and leave loudly. And I think more people Mm -hmm. need to do that. I, I love that. Get up and leave loudly. Yeah. I'm going to start getting up and leaving loudly when, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and start saying, exactly. or at least knocking some heads, yeah. maybe. Just hit things. them with your purse on yeah, the way out. Because exactly. <laughs> that's it. I mean, how else do you make change? Right. Right. How else do you make change? I know uh, Ruth said a line that I thought was really, really mm-hmm. powerful. She said that scriptural text in this region is the literature of trauma. Hmm. I, I noted that as well. Yeah, that's and I thought, real, that's, that's yeah. pretty powerful. And yeah. it goes back leaving loudly because, yeah. again, it's so easy to just sit down and be inactive, even though things are swirling around mm-hmm. all around you. She said, if you're sitting in a church pew, you know that if, if you haven't been sexually assaulted, then one of the three ladies near mm-hmm. you has been. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, or, or one of the six guys near you has mm-hmm. been. Right. I mean, that's... That's that's a pretty strong image to me. 
Yeah. But nothing's being said. Well, the flip side is, and you'll hear this when you listen to it, is there are resources. Mm -hmm. And there are, they said they would do trauma-informed teaching for free to Mm -hmm. anyone who wants it. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this and you're somebody who's religious and you are compassionate about this stuff and you do care about the other women sitting on your row, the Tina and Ruth are the ones to go to because they will help you learn. Mm-hmm. And this is a good reminder that if you do have um, clothing or things you would like to donate to Safe House, Cranberries Restaurant is a drop-off place right for that. Yeah. Especially in the wintertime when you're getting new coats and you want to get rid of your old coat mm-hmm. and uh, warm sweaters. And this is a perfect time. And if I'm not mistaken... The, the safe houses are for women who, at the drop of a hat, I'm out. If there's an opportunity to run and leave, they take off. They do not pack clothes. They, they get their kids, and they leave. So um, they need it. They need it urgently. Uh, and, and old phones, if I'm not mistaken, I think they also will take uh, old mm-hmm. phones because they'll have them refurbished uh, and set them so that I think the mm-hmm. primary reason is so that you can dial 911 if needed. So mm. think about that. Cranberries is a wonderful, great food. Amazing mm-hmm. three salads. <laughs> amazing. What about the cornbread? That's I have had that, but I bet it's great. It's so good. But I love their little super salad. I think mm. you get three salads and that's. They also have a Facebook page, Frontier Health Safe House, which mm-hmm. I actually. While I was sitting, listening to this again, I was like, oh, I'm on my computer. And I went and liked their Facebook page because I want to keep up with what they're doing for yeah. sure. So, yeah. Um, y'all, listen to this if you can handle it, if it's not tra- re-traumatizing mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. and Hopefully it's not. Yeah. Um, definitely spread the word about the Frontier Health Safe House and the work they're doing. So, enjoy. Okay. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Good evening. Thanks for your patience. Um, Welcome to Conversations That Matter. My name is Brittany Butler. And I'm Michelle Treese. We had a little moment of uh, hair and makeup. I hope we look cute. (laughs) (laughs) We're so pleased to have um, two great guests with us this evening. We have Ruth and and Tina. So let me get this switched around. I'm glad you're the taking on this. Oh, nope. <laughs> oh, you have to turn that camera on. Okay. Oh, I I just... Almost, folks. We're getting it. <laughs> Should be coming up. There, you go. there we go. Perfect. Okay, so our guests, and what we'll do is we'll have them introduce. Uh, themselves just a little quick intro of who you are and what you do who goes first (laughs) i'll go first okay um tina johnson and i am the director at safe house domestic violence program and sexual assault program i am from bristol originally but have lived in johnson city for probably the last 20 years Hi, I'm Ruth Taylor-Reed. I have lived in Johnson City for a really, really long time. I'm a small business owner, and I'm on the board of Safe House Johnson City in Kingsport with Frontier Health. Great. So uh, what did you think this was going to be about? Have you seen some of our episodes? What are you expecting? 
Oh, I'm expecting just the most engaging conversation, <laughs> knowing you, um, and maybe some enlightenment about some of the issues that are important to the community these days, relevant issues that are important to all of us. Perfect. How about you, Tina? What are you expecting? Same. I, I um, looked over some of the uh, episodes and uh, really interested in the topics that you all cover and hope we can learn some things and um, maybe help with uh, shed some light on some things that we've experienced. Great. Great. So let's see. Um, well, we basically started this because we had some concern in the community, Washington County, that you know there's some racism. Uh, we, we, we're all happy here and there's no problem. So we'll kind of talk about that first. So you're originally from the area, both of you, this yes. region. Have, have you seen any kind of, um, uh, what, what would I say, racism or treating people differently based on race, based on other being different? Have you seen that personally, maybe experienced it yourself some form? I can take this one first if you want to yes. think for a second. Since I have a daughter who is Black, I can tell you firsthand that uh, racism is alive and well. Um, a lot of explanations are needed when you go out in public. Uh, people can be obnoxiously curious. I can't tell you how many times I answered, is she yours? Oh, how long has she been with you? Is she yours? And they would feel her hair and they would look at me and they would feel her hair and they would look at me and... You know, that was in the late 80s. And I think that um, although progress has been made, like um, on a lot of issues, I don't think enough progress has been made. And I think that that's because there's an unwillingness to address what has happened in the past. And if you have been guilty of racism on any level at all, you need to educate yourself. You need to apologize, say you're sorry. I can be better, I can do better, I can say better, I can live better. And we don't find that happening a lot. Yeah, yeah very clear. Very clear. I don't know if we've ever had a, a white guest mm -hmm. share that perspective. And so that's that's good. I, I hope we can elaborate on that a little more so that we can kind of reach out to people and let them know to see what's going on. Yeah. How about you, Tina? Um, unfortunately, yes, I see racism every day. Um, in my work life and my personal life, I, um, I you know, you, you feel like we've come a long way, but then when you see um, just blatant racism and people using excuses of, I didn't mean it like that, or um, I don't see color, um, no, no, I have a black friend, you know, I hear those things daily and it's just, it's not, not acceptable. Um, People, uh, I'm getting older, and people my age, um, we can do better. You know, we kind of give some older people a pass, like uh, mm -hmm. generations uh, um, before me, we give them a pass. Well, they grew up like this, they don't know, but, you know, we all know it's wrong, and we all, um, I'm not perfect. I find myself, we all have biases, and, you know, every day I I try to see my own issues and learn from those. I grew up in, a, in Bristol, Tennessee. It's um, small I didn't have lots of exposure but I, I try to learn every day and try to do better um once I knew better I did better basically and Tina can you talk a little bit about the branch house and what sort of work you do there and does it overlap 
at all with some of these issues that you see? Yeah, sure. I um, So I'm the director of two domestic violence shelters, one in Johnson City and one in Kingsport, and then a sexual assault program that serves the whole area. So um, we see victims um, from all backgrounds. Um, unfortunately, we predominantly serve white victims, white clients, and I'm always looking, what are we doing? What can we do? You know, how can we, um, we know, um, we know everyone suffers from domestic violence and can be a victim, but um, we have to kind of look at our program and make sure that we're representing everyone and that we're not just, um, you know, 10 white social workers um, in a, in a fully white shelter with, uh, you know, nothing that looks like anyone else or um, so, I'm constantly trying to work on that. And um, it was my goal um, when we added staff to try to add people from all backgrounds so that when you walk in and you're a victim, you see someone that looks like you and things around the house um, are things that you feel, make you feel comfortable. And um, down to the products we have at, uh, in our little health and beauty area for the clients to choose from. You know, I had a very, very good friend tell me you know, I walk in here and I see this stuff and that's not what I use on my hair. You need to, you need to take, let's go shopping. So I really, I loved that. I love that she told me that, never thought about it. I thought we were doing great, you know, and she taught me some really um, hard lessons, but I've never forgotten them. And I share, you know, I continue to remember all the things she taught me and try to make our shelters be friendly for everyone. Was this a woman of color? It was, yeah. it was. And she uh, ended up being one of my very best friends. I met her as a client in the shelter mm -hmm. and um, she, uh, we developed a friendship probably for 20 years and she, she passed away now, but um, at a very young age, unfortunately, but she and her children taught me so much. Um, I had never had someone I cared about um you know, I love her. I love her children. And I had never actually experienced someone being hurt and being, you know, crying um, mm -hmm. over something that happened to them. And until you see it and it's someone that, you know, put a real personal uh, aspect to it, it, it was just, I learned so much from them. Can, can we agree that there's probably families of color that need your help? but they don't know about it. They're not feel comfortable. What's, what do you think is? Yeah, I think, um, I think that they don't feel comfortable. Um, you know, we've added um, uh, two women of color to our staff, but that's not enough. You know, I want, uh, I want to do more, but more importantly, I want to reach the, the population and, and let them know we are here for everyone. And it's not just something we put on our brochure or something we say, we really mean that. Um, I, you know, I'm constantly looking at our services, trying to decide what am I missing or could we be doing more or is there something, you know, that would make someone feel more comfortable here that we're not catching, but absolutely they need services. Um, everyone does. And, you know, I just finished some reporting for uh, some uh, quarterly reporting. And uh, when you have 113 uh, white victims and three African-American victims, that I just did the demographics. And that's, you know, it bothers me. I know that there's people who need services that we're not reaching. Mm, right. We'll have to figure out how to make that happen. Absolutely. Because I think, I, I think uh, it's, um, I see that in concerts. I see that in, you know, uh, things that are going on in Founders Park. I see that in restaurants. And I think 
I say all the time, where are the black people? Yes. And even sadly, even in a, a shelter like that, where are the exactly. people of color? Yes. And I think a lot of times people just do not feel welcome to go into those spaces. I think it even, I'm sorry, no. I think it even surpasses that. Um, before Frontier Health um, took over sexual assault advocacy, um, I served on a task force years before that. And so I got called on some cases and it is beyond not feeling comfortable. It's fear. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm not calling the police. I'm not calling the cops. I am not doing this. And so I became a story gatherer but they didn't receive the services they could have received. But let me also say that before Frontier Health stepped up, those services were not consistent. Policies didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Services weren't known. Mm -hmm. People assume that if someone who is victimized by sexual assault or rape, there's a program in place. There was policy in place. There are people in place. And that was not the case until Frontier Health came on board. So it, it's beyond discomfort, Michelle. It's and, fear. And what year did Frontier, Frontier uh, come on board for that? I started in 2013. Um, what year did you, 2018? 2018 is when 2018. we got fully took on sexual assault services. Wow. We've had the domestic violence services for years, um, but no one really was handling sexual assault for so many years. And then uh, Ruth, uh, and a few race tackles, started. which is why I don't serve on other boards. But um, yeah, my daughter is um, my daughter is very open about her story, and so I can just look you both in the eye and say that Tina saved my daughter's life. And so I'm always going to serve on Tina's board or do whatever Tina needs done because not only do I owe her, I know the work that has yet to be done. We've made great strides since 2013. They have been amazing but we still have work to do. Yeah. And Ruth, we had a question in the chat um, from Diane. She said, do you get those same type of questions when you are with your granddaughters? Interesting because my oldest granddaughter has lived with me most of her life. And so when she was about, I don't know, five or six, she began going to not the task force meetings, but she would go to um, conversations in the community about the need for SANE nurses. And not everyone knows what a SANE nurse is. It's a sexual assault nurse examiner. And so she watched us build a program on ETSU's campus and she knows what those are. And she knows my friends. You know, there are sometimes even when you love family members, you don't always want them to be your safe space. Mm -hmm. And so they have all of my friends' numbers. And I say, if something happens to you and I'm not your person, these are your people. So we have those conversations. Yeah, wow. I wonder if folks had heard, because I've only briefly heard about the same nurses, but can you explain that a little bit? And so it's sexual assault nurse examiner examiners. Correct. So yeah, but uh, prior to 2018, we had one nurse, uh, mm-hmm. one sane nurse that served the entire region um, or, or tried, you know, not mm-hmm. one person cannot serve that sure. many areas. But um, then our friend Judy McCook um, got a grant to bring mm-hmm. on many more sane nurses and train them so that 
any emergency room you walk into in the area, you would have a, sane, a trained SANE that would perform your forensic exam. And um, so my role with that is um, I have advocates on my staff and I uh, do it as well, but we go out to the hospital with a client when they've um, experienced a sexual assault and just be with them, be present for their exam, um, aftercare, just anything they need during that time. And um, it's it's been great. It, it, the difference is huge because when, you know, before we took this on, um, there was nothing. There was no one there to be with the person prior to Ruth's um, services. There was just nothing for that victim. And you can't you can't cover that big of an area. You know, we now serve seven hospitals in the uh, area. So pretty much anywhere we can get to within a reasonable amount of time, we'll, we'll come and be with that person and then provide therapy and just all the things they need after an assault as well. And just for the record, this is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. It is. And um, are there any kind of events going on? Is there anything that people may participating with the rest of the month or anything that happened earlier? Yeah, so we, like we've had a few. Um, we had a couple of things at ETSU. We did a walk a mile in her shoes. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the day before that, we had an event where we um, put, um, just kind of set up some booths and talk, talked about our services and people took the pledge to start by believing. And then actually next week at um, Ruth's Restaurant Cranberries, we're going to have um, a viewing of I'm Not Evidence mm. and I'm um, going to watch that with some oh, wow. people who are concerned, um, you know, in the community. And um, we're going to keep attendance low because mm -hmm. of COVID, but we may find a way to Zoom um, a meeting before that or involve the community. Um, but, you know, we did that last year and it was really successful. Um, just letting people know that sexual assault happens year round, of course, and we take this month to uh, remember victims and try to prevent uh, some sexual assaults or letting people know what to do if it happens to them. That's great. So Ruth, you mentioned that we've got a long way to go. We've made tries. What are some other things that you would love to see uh, with this uh, program? With sexual assault awareness? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think that we all have opportunities, especially during this month. I know we had a national wear teal day. And so at our restaurant, when we put on teal, we started those conversations. And I, you know, I was asked by a reporter a few years ago, do you think Me Too, that movement made an impact? Yes, Me Too made a solid impact in allowing sexual assault survivors and victims to know their community, to have an opportunity to share their story, to bring down those in power who thought it was okay to say things and touch women, touch men, to abuse their power. Men of power were coming down and it was acceptable now to have the conversations that we didn't have before. We all remember Anita Hill. Mm -hmm. We remember what we watched on television. Mm -hmm. We remember how she was, every ounce of credibility that she walked in with was taken away. We remember that, those of us who are older. And now we hear that story and we think, hopefully I wouldn't let that happen where I am. In my workplace, there are no personal comments about how someone looks. Mm -hmm. If there is, come get me, I'm your person. Mm -hmm. Because that's not the type of person we want to attract anyway. So I don't mind if they don't come back. Right. Now, I hear of situations that places of, of, of business where people say, oh, it's a toxic environment. 
And, and I cannot imagine working every day, going in just to make the money you need to survive, knowing that someone is, is making you know, harassing comments or touching your body or something. We are working with a client right now and of course, nothing confidential. I won't give any of that away, but um, she's a very young girl. Um, she was working in an office and her boss um, had her meet him, you know, after hours for what she fully believed was work. Mm -hmm. She had not had the life experience to really even have any red flags about that. And he assaulted her and he's um, a man of power, money, um, a little more so than a 19-year-old college student would be. And he is intimidating her every step of the way with multiple lawyers. And, you know, there's, um, we've come a long way, but we haven't really yeah. um, in, in sexual assault and in many areas because she's being intimidated and bullied and everything about her is being questioned, but no one's questioning him. No one's, no one, we haven't got to the part where we're, why did you rape her? We're still, what were you doing? Didn't you think about that? Uh, let us, uh, you know, law enforcement, let us have your cell phone so we can go through every single thing on your phone and then question you about it. Um, so we're, we're re-victimizing her every step of the way to the point where now, um, you know, clients ask me all the time, what would you do? Would you go through with prosecution? Would you, you know, it's a hard question because my, my heart for them wants to tell them, you know, it's got to, it obviously has to be your choice, but get ready because yeah. it, it's going to hurt. And it's, it's hurt you know, yeah. and when we look at statistics of how many of those will eventually be convicted. And then when you look even past that of how much jail time those people get, it, it's very grim. Um, it's just horrifying, really. But I think, too, that that's part of the services that Frontier Health provides. Statistically speaking, when they walk with a client mm -hmm. through the court process, the odds of them staying through that court process increases dramatically, and they offer those services as well. It's not just the trip to the emergency yes. room. And that was my next thing. So uh, you get a phone call about someone that's been sexually assaulted. What happens? What's the what are the steps that are taken? Yeah, so we get a phone call usually from the hospital, but sometimes from law enforcement, and they basically just say 19-year-old male or 19-year-old female or whatever um, at Indian Path room 11. So we show up at the ER. Um, they, we've asked the victim, do you want an advocate to come in with you? And they've already agreed to that. Um, if they say no, we still come, but we don't see that person. We just bring them a bag with um, some clothing because a victim's clothing are taken as part of evidence. Um, so we bring some information, some clothing, um, and we leave. We don't ever see that person. Um, we respect their wishes, but most of the time they want an advocate there. So we go in, introduce ourselves, let them know, hey, this is this is why I'm here and this is what I can do to help you. I can do any of this, all of it, or just a few things. Um, you know, we want to put them in control right away and let them know I can be in here for your exam or I can step out. Um, I can, you know, give you a ride home and take you to a safe place. We can pick you up tomorrow and go get follow-up medical care, can go to meet with law enforcement with you, just whatever you want me to do through the process. And, you know, sometimes people want you to talk the whole time to them and they ask questions. And then sometimes people won't even say a word to you through the whole thing. And you're thinking, am I even helping her? Is this, you know, and they'll say to you at the end, thank you so much for being here. And you really just have to realize it's that 
quiet presence of just being there and they're not alone and you're completely there for them. You're not worried about medical uh, things that need to be done. You're not there as law enforcement. You're just completely there as their voice um, for them. Now, if a phone call comes in, it's going to be you. How many other staff members? So it's very small. We have about a five person rotation and we cover 24 seven. Um, so um, we rotate by weeks and then we have backup because unfortunately we'll have two at once all the time or a lot of the times it happens at the worst times usually and you'll have more than one. Um, since um, just recently in the past few months, we've picked up pediatric sexual assault cases because there was no one there to go to the hospital for the families or the child. Um, so we were trying to gauge if we can handle that um, through June. We're going to see what the flow of clients are and, you know, can we handle that and pick that up? So and make a final decision on that in July. But, um, you know, a person, a, a family member needs you there. Um, children are different than adults. They um, typically don't really even understand what's happening. Lots of the kids that we go with, but their parents are often devastated and understand kind of what this trauma is going to do to their child long-term and really need somebody there with them. So we're going to try to make that work. I hate to ask the question, but how many pediatric cases as many as adults if not more um I haven't we haven't served that many but just because we just started taking that mm -hmm. on but when you look at numbers uh, which I, I just wrote some grants for our sexual assault program and pediatric cases are um probably 30 percent over adult sexual assaults and it's typically family members um someone in the home or a family member a trusted adult typically I know over the pandemic when uh schools were closed uh, one of the things that, that was noted that there was a, an increase in uh, child and, you know, school age uh, sexual assault. Absolutely. We, nobody had their eyes on those kids either. So, you know, they weren't coming in each day. Um, you know, nobody Anyone? knew if they were struggling at home, if, if domestic violence or sexual assault was going on in their home or happening to them. And nobody could see their exactly. see bruises and, and that kind of thing. Yes. Again, thank a teacher. Yes. That was... That was an issue. Wow. And there are two certifications for SANE nurses. I don't, um, you can be certified as a pediatric SANE nurse or as an adult SANE nurse, or you can hold them both, but they are two different trainings. And how about, so your program is it for women only? No, uh, we serve um, men, women. We serve any, any victim that comes to us. So we have less men than women, of course, just like domestic violence. Um, statistically, it does happen to women more, uh, domestic violence and sexual assault. But we, there are a whole lot of men that are experiencing these things who are not coming for services. And that's for, you know, some of the very same reasons that um, minorities and underserved populations don't come. Um, we there's fear of the, just the shame of coming forward or I'm a man, I shouldn't need help or I should be able to handle this or I shouldn't let this happen to me. But when you work with a male victim, it is absolutely no different than working with a female. They are, they are a victim. You know, it, it's, it's no different to me it, um, in, in, in the fact that I want to help them just as much. I want to provide every service available. Right. How about, uh, and I don't know in this area, but transgender folks. Yeah, so we have, um, we have, I, I know my numbers just because I did just yeah, did report. Right. So we had, yeah, we had um, three, we served three uh, transgender clients at shelter last year and five sexual assault victims who were trans. So um, 
they, um, that population has a whole different set of insecurities and trauma that they have to go through. Ruth uh, helped us with um, a, a client last year who was at our shelter. Um, she had been sexually assaulted. Domestic violence had been occurring. Um, her abuser took her wig when, when as part of the assault to keep her there because that was very important to her. Um, and she, she would stay in her room all the time, never come out, wouldn't speak to anyone. Finally, she did start talking to me and told me, I, I cannot be out around people without my wig. It's just my security. It's what makes me feel feminine and I need it. So um, I have a great team of people and Ruth, um, talked with somebody and we um, got a beautiful wig for her um, and it made all the difference you know um, she was afraid to tell anyone that she was thankful to be safe and have a place to be to sleep and food to eat but she needed that before she could do anything else and um, you know you just have to be sensitive to um, those issues since you know we learn like I said we don't always uh, do the right thing or know the right things to do but just in the past year we've added um, just clothing that doesn't necessarily not male or female just um you know gender neutral uh type pants lounge pants and t-shirts and made sure that we have those available so we're not just showing up with male or female clothing um so we're you know we're trying to learn things as we go and and try to meet the needs of everyone respectfully yeah yeah i'm thinking of this question of walking in somewhere and knowing you're welcome or feeling comfortable and ruth i think folks know that like Cranberries is a welcoming place and open to everyone. Was that something you thought about consciously or like, do you, did you think, oh, let me take actions to make sure this is a welcoming place? It's part of our mission statement. Okay. We're also a drop-off place. Mm -hmm. Anyone that wants to give things to Frontier or anyone that is in either of the safe houses. Um, it, I don't know that from day one, it started that way. It started that way when I just innocently, like Gomer Pyle, walked into the Johnson City Police Chief's office and I wanted to know why he had so many untested rape kits. That's how it started for me. Well, and we actually just had a question um, from in the chat. I'd love to know what life paths brought you to be connected to this work. And so it sounds like that was something part of it. It is, and, and here is where I don't make allies. Um, I am a seminary student, and part of the reason that I'm a seminary student is because I found a lack of interest and a lack of reaction in the faith community in this region towards trauma victims. And it is so important to a trauma victim how they view their higher being, whatever it is. If it's a judgmental God, there is a whole lot of sociological data that shows their healing process is so much slower. If Tina and I have talked for years about if we could just get as many faith community members and leaders as possible to trauma informed care or education so they don't re traumatize. I say scriptural texts in this region are often the literature of trauma. That is not the time to condemn, that is not the time to quote a verse, that is not the time to ask. Where were you? Why? What were you wearing? What were you drinking? That's not the time. And there are so many of us in this region who are certified to teach trauma-informed care at no cost. I'm not aware of anyone that charges to yeah. teach that here. And as many of us as there are, 
and I don't even know how many that is at this point, but it's quite a few. We welcome the opportunity to come and say, listen, here are some of the causes, here are some of the actions, and here are some of the reactions to avoid re-traumatizing these victims. I think that's so important. Yes. We have often, I'm sorry, we have often looked at each other and go, oh, where would we send them to worship that we know they'd be safe, that we know that they would be okay? We've asked ourselves that for years. And if there's any of you folks out there listening, because I think a lot of you have a connection with your churches, put your church's name out there if they are truly welcomed as they are. I'm Greg on my Holston Valley Unitarian Universalist. I have been there and I have some friends there. Yes. We win. No. (laughs) Yes, you do. Yes. You also win because you have comprehensive sex ed. And part of comprehensive sex ed is what does a healthy relationship look like? Mm -hmm. You know, I I am the grandmother of granddaughters, 16 and 13. They need to know what a healthy relationship looks like. They need to know this is not acceptable and you're a jerk. Right, right. And right. not normalizing heterosexual Correct. relationships all the time. Correct. And you know, just being open to not othering people. Right. Yes. Right. Cindy and Sarah do an amazing job. I, I'm very curious to see. Well, let me back up. Rephrase <laughs> this question. Have you ever offered out to ministers in the area? Hey. Come over here. I want you to learn a little bit about your life. I want you to learn a little bit about trauma-informed care. Um, I used to work at ETSU as a program coordinator in the um, Department of Professional Development. And my boss, Darla Dye, was amazing. She knew who she was getting when she hired me as a program coordinator. Um, We began a conference called Escape from Rape, Cultural Change. We began trainings for um, sexual assault victim advocates. We began trainings for counselors and anyone on the front lines that responded to sexual assault victims and advocates. I repeatedly reached out and said, please come join us, come listen to these speakers. We had an FBI agent, the local FBI agent, Tina. We had forensic nurses. They were amazing conferences and amazing training opportunities. No one came. That's actually, that subject um, is one of the first things we bonded over. We had dinner one night and kind of shared our, we had worked together on some projects, but we kind of shared some of our personal life. And Ruth, um, I I told Ruth how I was a victim of domestic violence that I got married really young and then found myself um, just in a scary situation. I had not grown up in any kind of violence and I um, was involved in my church and my church. Uh, I finally got the courage to leave my abuser, was not going to raise my two boys in that kind of environment. And the pastor immediately, I would think probably within 48 hours of me leaving the situation, he was at my door telling me I was breaking up my family. I really needed to come and meet with him and my ex-husband and um, explain to me how this was not what, what God wanted me to do. And I was trying to keep as many things consistent in my boy's life as I could during this time because they were already going through this. I show up at church just like I would normally would have. Um, My name had been erased from the nursery uh, calendar. I always kept the nursery. um, So my name was listed on there. It had been removed from that. I was removed from Bible school, which I I love kids. So um, I was removed from every duty at that church. Um, Canceled. 
just canceled. They canceled me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, that was hurtful because, um, it, it hurt my feelings, you know, it just really hurt me to the core because I just was going to try to keep my boys, uh, life, you know, as normal as possible. And, um, that's what I experienced. So now I'm super sensitive to my clients that come in and ask me, is there a, is there a church around here that would welcome me? You know, this person might not have appropriate clothing. They might not, they might've lived a very rough life or gone through a, a lot of trauma and they're asking me, where can I go? And it, it, I don't ever refer anyone to anywhere unless I know it's a safe place. So yes, absolutely. Yes. Now you know. Yes. And by the way, no one has responded with the name of their church, except for you, Jesse. Yeah, you know, yes. I, 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 since I no longer work within a system, I can say things that someone in a system can't say. And I'm throwing the gauntlet down. If you are in church leadership and you are interested in being trauma-informed, you connect here on this. Send a message here. Um, call uh, In a few minutes, I'm going to ask Tina to give out some phone numbers. We'll show up. Someone will show up yeah. to train you. Um, if you have a church and you are certain, just dead certain, that you would welcome anyone in your congregation, tell us. Yeah. I would be happy to say. I'll be interested. Now we got to get with um, Cindy and mm -hmm. Sarah because I think they did a trauma informed care thing for religious leaders good but i wonder if anyone showed up i'm not sure wow. we'll have to or if that's reflected in their um church policy you should have a trauma-informed policy tina and i actually worked with leaders at uu to help them adapt a policy for domestic violence um in that church every about, church needs one what about Absolutely. at the etsu was there with students any because so the walk a mile in her shoes i know there's been some conversation moving the blame and everything away from the victims what were you wearing where were you and it's like you know mothers raise your daughters to protect themselves as opposed right. to mothers raise your sons to not assault women right. um and so i'm wondering if there's conversations with sort of that age group college students like um, medical schools pharmacy students things like that just to change that culture as it through. Yes, you know, um, as recent as um, right after we took over services in 2018-19, I was with a college student from ETSU. She um, had been to a couple of places downtown. Um, she was 21. She could drink. Um, she did nothing wrong. It wouldn't matter. You know, none of that uh, would um, be a, a reason she should be victimized, but she had done nothing wrong. And law enforcement asked her, you wore that to go out with friends. It was a t-shirt dress, wedge mm -hmm. sandals, and a blue jean jacket. Uh, it wouldn't matter what it was, but I thought I, you know, she, it was the most innocent clothing uh, I, choices that a person could choose. There was nothing wrong with it. And it wouldn't have mattered what she was wearing, but I was thinking to myself, and what if she were wearing something mm -hmm. even more, um, you know, um, in that person's eyes is inappropriate. And this was a, you know, a female asking her this and I just couldn't believe it. You know, I could not believe it, even though I know it goes on yeah. and, but to see the hurt cross her face and she had already been sexually assaulted. And then just to see a person, you know, a, a helping profession person hurt her like that. Yeah. 
when she was so vulnerable it just it, it just blows my mind that we're still asking those questions in 2020 21 22 I know it's not that long ago right? yeah right. it's like happening yeah. today absolutely well when I when I worked at ETSU I think this is 2017 I actually um helped curate an art show from survivors that started it actually traveled a couple of places here in the tri-cities and what was stunning about the art show was not just um, the fact that there were so many pieces there were spoken pieces there were written pieces there were art pieces I think what astounded people the most was um, the age of victims quite often an FBI agent told me in this region during escape from rape prep one year. It's wonderful that everyone is so interested in human trafficking and that the spotlight is on it, but that's not the biggest problem here in East Tennessee, it's cyclical family abuse. That's the number one problem in East Tennessee. And when we saw artwork where children were displayed and one of the artists said, yeah, it started on my sixth birthday. It was my grandfather, it happened for years. And when he died, we all lined up all the way out the door because we wanted to make sure he was dead. Mm-hmm. Now you have a young woman, look at you and t- still gives me goosebumps yeah. five years later. But when you hear those stories and you see those pieces and you hear those pieces, you can't walk away. You cannot. And it makes me think also of the intersectionality of race assault and like our messed up justice system mm-hmm. um, and the kind of the police response right being sort of different depending on who you are the judge response being different um, and you know just yeah wow now again I look at things through a different lens I don't have burden of guilt to prove so I say that on the outset, but I will say that I was told repeatedly by law enforcement, we need a credible witness. Mm -hmm. And we all know what that means. Mm -hmm. That means you have to remember and you have to remember it in a timely manner, which of course defies Mm -hmm. how your brain reacts under the circumstances of trauma. And we have to be able to build a case. And so I would say if she can't remember, that's the beginning of your case, Mm -hmm. but that's not how it works. So true. Wow. Well, we had two questions. Um, there was one before the bell. I'll read this one first. Um, this one says they would like to try a trauma-informed care at their church. Uh, Yay! Diane Nelson. Hi, Diane. Do you know Diane? Hi. Yes. yes. <laughs> and she's not exactly, not all people are actually welcome in spite of the motto of open minds, open doors. So I, I'm thinking, let's see. And then from Diane also, how can we participate or assist in these projects with sexual assault and with domestic abuse slash safe haven. So uh, we can we have a Facebook page and I can put some information up just for um, people who are interested from this. Um, it's um, Frontier Health Safe House and maybe we could have a community focus meeting. I'm looking at Ruth because maybe we could do that at Cranberries. <laughs> sure. And um, we could just have a um, group of the community who want to come out and talk about these issues and how they can help. There's so many ways they can help and we welcome that. So we would love to have a a little meeting with the community. Anybody who's interested in any of the church uh, trauma-informed care um, work or sexual assault or domestic violence, and maybe we could get together and come up with some good ideas. If the number is one in four for women and one in six for men, which it is, 
When you go to church on Sunday morning, if it isn't you, it's somebody beside you. And how are you going to engage in that conversation? Are you a safe space? I, when I, so I'm not one to go to church. You know, I'm a Seventh-day Jehovah Method Baptist Jewish Catholicism. She can do this a lot, okay? <laughs> so, say that again so I can type it in the chat. <laughs> I, in, my, in the back of the back of my head, I think there are so many religious, not spiritual, but religious people out there who will just completely cover their eyes. They the do. idea yeah. of sexual assault. Because I think if their eyes were open to that, you can't just sit next to the one in four, the one in six, and act like your whole weekend has been fabulous. That's right. I like to say there's absolutely nothing holy about turning your head yeah. when faced with suffering. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing. So how, I mean, I feel for people who really have this strong religious and spiritual connection, yet they have nowhere to turn. And when those folks are going through all of these experiences and in their, in the, you know, since they were kids going to church, they're probably thinking, I really need a holy space mm-hmm. that I can go to. And none of these people want me except for you. Absolutely. But nobody wants me. Yes. And, and I can't, I don't have that because again, I'm not religious, but, but I'm very spiritual. And I know you can find that spiritual connecting connection. Yes, you can. Anywhere. Right? Yes, you can. People yes. need that religious and groups, and they need that. None of you people are accepting these folks. I I I don't even know the number of young women who have cried and said, "I'm not a virgin now. Mm-hmm. I'm not worth anything." I don't even know because they're taught that's where their worth exactly. is. Exactly. Exactly. And I forget the lady's name, but it was a very public thing where she was kidnapped. Elizabeth Smart? Yes. Oh, and she, that was the same exact message that she got, that virginity was like a piece of gum. Mm. Yes. And once it was chewed, that was it. Mm-hmm. Like a chewed piece of gum. That's that part of purity message. culture. Mm. That, that's what okay. they teach you in purity culture. And, mm. and the presenter often will chew the piece of gum, hold it up and go, now it's, now it's worthless. Wow. Or show you a paper heart and if you have given yourself to someone they begin to shred the heart and say it will never heal because you've given yourself away yes the presentations in purity culture are so damaging they are so damaging and where we live we can't walk away from the religious influence we can't <laughs> I meant, I think I meant the impact okay. on survivors and okay. victims. Okay. Yeah. I pretty much have walked away from that as well, as you well know. I so, feel for those folks. And I think, you know, again, part of this, this conversation matter is to bring awareness to the situations. But we always end with a, a call of what can we do. And, and I'm calling on religious folks to step up and step out and be real. And be safe. Yeah, be safe. Be a safe place. Be a safe space. Yeah, and really mean it. You know, we we get um, donations, and we we wouldn't be able to survive without those from the community and churches. And but um, and we love that. But we also want you to walk the walk. We don't, you know, if you want to give to our cause and you believe in helping victims, make them feel welcome and don't judge anything they've been through or where they're at in their life at this moment. Um, If they're 
actively using uh, substances. Maybe they've been doing that to keep themselves alive and numb the pain. Don't, don't judge them, you know, let them come and have a safe place and really mean that, you know, I, I hadn't gone to church for many years after what happened to me. And um, I found this place and it was come as you are. We, we accept anyone. I was really excited. I thought, okay, let's, you know, let's do this. Um, I go, I, I like what I hear for a little bit. And then I'm very naive sometimes. I will just believe the best in absolutely every situation. I don't know how after doing this work for 20 years, but um, but I show up, they're going to have um, the, a sermon about homosexuality. And I'm thinking, okay, this seems to be a really accepting church. Um, it was held in a very large forum, not, not in the church. It was held outside of a church. And I thought, this is great. And no, they talked about how um, wrong that was and how we need to we, we need to reach these people and change them. And I got up, I got my two children who were teenage boys at that point, but we marched out of there in the middle of everything. I didn't make them be quiet. I didn't, you know, try not to cause a scene. And we left loudly because um, I, I had no idea that was about to happen. And so basically we, you know, we're going to an hour of, of hate, you know, wow. And it just blew my mind. So, yeah. yeah. And I'll plug ourselves a little bit here with these conversations. I think the least we can do is build the awareness. So it's so important mm -hmm. to have folks like you come who are so close to issues like this speak of your experiences because there's so many people who I think do turn a blind eye yes. and think, oh, that's not happening in yes. our area or you know, because they don't know anyone personally, mm -hmm. they don't have to think about Well, they don't it. think they know anyone personally. Odds are they, they do, mm -hmm. but they don't think they do because they weren't a safe enough space for someone to confide in. Wow, yeah, exactly. And something else that I think we had talked about on another occasion was that, you know, I don't want to name any names, but we have other uh, programs in the area that take in homeless folks or take in families and you know, maybe the, the mother and the children or not the father doesn't. Wait, tell me about your shelter and who is welcomed at your shelter? Sure. So we are a shelter for victims of domestic violence and their children that can be um, and single people with no children, but that can be men, women, um, anyone who is a victim. Um, they need to be recent victims because we're an emergency shelter, but um, they can come to our shelter and we work with them on all the things they need to be independent again. Um, and they can be, they can have active uh, drug use issues and we can help them work on that. They can be, have any type of mental illness issues. We don't turn anyone away. It, um, if you are a victim, you qualify and all you need to do is call the phone number and we will help you. Um, we also help them with um, housing once they leave the shelter. And that's really important because, you know, before we were able to do that, it was kind of like putting a Band-Aid on the situation. We're protecting them for those 30 or 60 days, but then what? So now we can help someone be in their own place and help them pay their rent and learn some budgeting skills and be ready to take on their own bills in a few months. And it's really made a huge difference. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you guys are the only shelter yes. that will take transgender people and families. Um, as far as domestic violence, I, I, yes. Yes. yes, and I, I'm, I know that um, the client that we worked with together um, was had tried to leave and go to just a homeless shelter and was not safe and was not um, and was turned away. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I know that that happens, uh, not naming any names exactly. of where, exactly. but I know that that happens and <laughs> it's not a safe place for them, not physically or mentally a safe place for them. Mm -hmm.
So we have a few minutes left. Do you guys have any questions for each other? Oh, for each other. <laughs> what if you told them about the counseling that's available for both primary and secondary victims? Yeah, so we have a therapist at Branch House, a full-time therapist who's there for domestic violence and sexual assault. And it can be 20 years ago that you experienced this sexual assault or current. Um, and then we have one at the Washington County Family Justice Center, a therapist there as well. And that is free, confidential. You can walk in. Um, you don't have to go in a mental health center and wait. Um, you don't have to wait six weeks to get an appointment to see someone. You don't, you, you're pay, you won't get a bill. We don't bill insurance or anything like that. So you can really come um, confidentially. Your parents aren't going to get an explanation of benefits from your insurance or your uh, potentially your abusive partner won't get that. Um, there's literally no billing whatsoever. So you can walk in and, and get that at any point. And it's very open-ended uh, trauma-focused therapy. We do EMDR therapy and uh, trauma-focused um, um, therapy. Um, so it's, it's great because, and that's our most um, used service at both the, uh, the branch house and the Washington County Family Justice Center is people coming for um, therapy. Typically, you're going to seek therapy a little bit after you've experienced um, your sexual assault or domestic violence. And because you're really just picking up the pieces and trying to survive during those first few weeks or months after an assault. But um, people deal with sexual assault sometimes years and years later. So you can come no matter how recent or uh, long ago that was. And so if people make a financial contribution or a donation, do will it go toward paying bills like that? Will it go toward buying materials and items that they may need if they're moving into a new place? Yeah, that and um, yes. And the good thing, we are part of an umbrella agency, which is Frontier Health, but we are completely separate. Our funding, anything that's donated to us stays just specifically in our program, you can be very specific with your donation and say you want to help a victim moving out into her own place. You know, we've got to find a bed, we've got to find a, a crib for her child, you know, whatever she might need to get um, get started again. Or um, if you want to donate to the therapy program, they my company is really good to me. They they care about our clients and any donation we get goes specifically to our program and even to what section of our program you would want, you know, it to. Now, there was a question on oh, the way you said that Tina and Ruth are community sheroes. We should all <laughs> feel grateful for. Thank you, ladies. That's from Vicki Powers. Aww. There was a thing, I think Sky. I don't know if she had a question or she was telling us we're not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been told I wasn't allowed enough, <laughs> really ever, ever. You know, we didn't we didn't get too much into race, but this this information is really really great. I think it's nice to hear. Well, it's not nice; it's sad, sort of. But you're bringing an awareness to another population that this this community in this area is like. We don't have any people that get assaulted, or we don't have a reason to have any training. Yes. What are y'all talking about? And now we hear it's it's yeah. up there. People like to stick their head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist, but that does nothing. Well, hopefully at our community meeting that can come out of this, if anyone wants to discuss issues, how we can improve services to minority populations, maybe they can show up at the meeting and mm -hmm. we are all ears. We want to learn more and grow and, you know, just grow our program into a truly safe space. So hopefully right. if anyone has any ideas, they can let us I'd know. love to sit down and talk with you about it, especially looking at the, getting people of color. I would love that. Do yes. you have any questions for Ruth? 
oh, I just don't know how she puts up with me. <laughs> she does a lot for me. She does. She collects all these things. And, you know, the na very nature of my job, I will have something planned and I will tell her I will be there to get those wonderful things you collected for me. And I don't show up for a week, but you cannot plan my day. I promise. But I'm just thankful to her. She, um, she's with me every step of the way and every single bright idea I have, I'll just sit and dream up things literally. And I run them by her and she's there to support me all the way. So I just want to say thank you to her. That's uh, fabulous. You're welcome. But I need to say that since I started this in 2013, Tina is the only one who has been doing this for as long as she's been doing. There's something to be said for that. There is a high burnout rate. Um, compassion fatigue mm -hmm. is for real. Mm -hmm. And Tina's been doing this for more than 20 years. No one else in this region can say that. I'm so mm -hmm. proud and impressed and grateful and thankful for Tina. And every day she puts in the work. Oh, that's that means a lot to me. Yay. I never get burnout. It's new people, new lives we're helping. I just, I don't even see that in, I, I don't ever see that in my future because I, I'm, you know, very blessed. I get to be in these people's lives and help them. That's great. That's fabulous. Thank you for letting us talk about yes. this. These are conversations we didn't mean that don't to get take to over the conversation. <laughs> but we're very happy. This is, yes. right. this is exactly. We have eleven questions. None of them. <laughs> <laughs> None of them. I told you that's how it's fabulous. This is the conversation. This is how happens. we don't get invited back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we need a part two. <laughs> right. Right. And. We turn off here. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Hi, Thomas. <laughs> um, but one thing I like to add, though, is if you haven't been into cranberries, go into cranberries and take in just a, a, a load of all the stuff that you're like, you want to donate, possibly some cash, all of that. And just eat delicious And eat delicious food. Thanks. Chicken salad. Mm. Okay, and delicious. Um, and you can you can drop all that stuff off at cranberries. Go inside to the right to table slide it right under that table. That's right. Let me know. That's right. Bags, yep. Make sure it's clean. And <laughs> we've done we've done all sorts of odd things. We yes. even did a Christmas tree one year. Yes, yes. Yeah. We do an angel tree every Christmas. Um, there are lots of opportunities, and the staff is used to seeing people come in with bags and boxes and just put them in there. Yeah. So somebody from cranberries uh, called me today and asked if our kids had Easter baskets and. Uh, she's making our kids Easter baskets oh, and I'm meeting her tomorrow for those. So fabulous. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yay. That's yeah. great. That's great. Well, I, I'm looking forward to this the opportunity to mm -hmm. talk and, and yeah. figure out how to make people aware and move forward with it. I think it's fabulous. Yeah. Thank great. you. Thank you. Yeah, this is good. All right. How's that? We are right on time. It's very it good. It always goes fast. Always. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. We hope you have a great evening. And a happy uh, Easter. Merry if you do that. A Merry Easter. Is that what we do? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> happy Easter. But thank you. We want to thank Enjoy our guests, Tina and Ruth. Thank you so much for being thank with you. us this evening. Thank you. Um, so we'd like to thank our guests, uh, Tina Johnson and Ruth Taylor-Reed. And we'd also like to thank the listeners out there. And you can find CTM, the podcast, wherever you download podcasts. Just search for CTM, the podcast. And you can also check out the McKinneyCenter.com website under Programs, Conversations That Matter. 
Yeah, and if you just want to learn more about the McKinney Center in general, definitely check out that website. We're also on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. We're on Twitter, which we do not update nearly enough, but we are there. Um, And as of today, it is October 27th when we're recording this, 2022, and our spring 2023 catalog is out. So there's classes to sign up for right now, this coming spring, if you're listening anytime near when we recorded um definitely go check that out um we've got stuff for children and adults and a lot of other community programming so um thanks for listening and we'll see y'all later bye